Welcome to another episode of the Best Teachers in California podcast. On today's episode, we have Jamie Brown. Jamie Brown was honored with being one of the best five teachers in California in 2017. Jamie Brown teaches uh, English at San Diego High School in San Diego in their International Baccalaureate program. She's had experience uh, running film festivals, working with diverse student bodies, and has a lot to say about building rapport with students. This was an amazing podcast, and I love talking with her. So let's go meet Jamie Brown. Okay. So what what's your, what's your feeling on using Chromebooks? I think I've been slowly transitioning to using Google Classroom more, um, partly because we don't really get that much paper allocated to us anymore. So it's out of necessity. I think there's some really amazing things that can happen with technology in the classroom, but it's got to be really focused and purposeful. Otherwise, you know, the kids are just off doing their own thing. They all know how to... um, install a free VPN and get past all the firewalls. And I'm sure you've seen this happen too. Yeah. Yeah, We have this issue right now. So I'm a middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. And so my kids are not at the VPN level yet, but they are at the level. So we, we recently got purchased a software. It's called go guardian. It's kind of a filtering software Mm -hmm. that allows us to control what they can visit. But um, the IT person in our district didn't think through that they could you know, when it's not on, they can download stuff to their browsers or their accounts and then play games. So we oh. we recently looked at their accounts and it's just like there's games everywhere. And yep. we had no idea. We thought we were controlling them, but they, they were controlling us. And it's yes. kids are just so smart that way. You think they're you a can... step ahead when it comes mm-hmm. to technology, for sure. But so, I do think that I'm grateful to have the Chromebooks. I'm frustrated the Chromebooks don't you can't print from a Chromebook. So if the students do something and they need to print it, it's just really time consuming for the teacher to go through and yeah. print everything. Absolutely. That's my one complaint about them. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I agree with you. I think that it can get some teachers can just grab any new technology and try to, you know, it's the new silver bullet for engagement or whatever, but I mean, that the tech is tech is just automating something that we've already done, yes. you know, or making something slightly faster than we've already done, and it's it's really about you know what you're doing, not how you're doing it. Absolutely, right? I think sometimes it can be more of a distraction for students than a tool. So yeah, it, you really have to be careful about how you're using it for sure. And it makes us sound like we're so curmudgeon-y, these I know. teachers that's like we're fighting <laughs> against the, you know, the changing path. You know, if you like say, you know, I because I, I, I meet all these teachers that um, talk about how they're using tech in their classrooms. And there's this one teacher I met. I, f- I forget where I met him, but he was talking about how he, how he uses Twitter in his class. And he has mm-hmm. his kids on their phones scrolling through Twitter to look for things. And I was like could that be a little distracting? Is that, you know, I, it's like, no, 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 you, 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 you don't understand. It's, it's just, it's the future. And I'm just, you know, like maybe, maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about you though. Um, sure. Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher or is this something that came later? 
You know, as cheesy as it sounds, I think I kind of always knew I wanted to have a job that made a difference. Um, and when I was young, I was actually sick a lot because I had asthma and extreme allergies. So I spent a lot of time at the doctor's office. And um, so from a young age, I wanted to be a pediatrician <laughs> because I saw how that mm. made a difference in my life. Um, and later, I wanted to be a pharmacologist to investigate you know, how different drugs work to help people. So it really wasn't until I was in college and I did start out pre-med, um, I realized I was meant for a career in education. And part of that came from I got involved as a peer health and sexuality educator at the Student Health Center at UC Berkeley. Um, and I got to lead workshops and work one-on-one -on -one with people um, answering their questions. And I really liked that experience. And I also was in an after-school tutoring program where once a week they would pack a bus full of college students and drive us out to Oakland, and we would tutor middle school kids in all different subjects. Um, so I think that's probably where I changed my mind about what I wanted to do. And I yeah, also I have- Yeah, I feel like, sorry to interrupt, but I just no. feel like the after-school program thing, that's a great way to filter teachers. You know, if you have someone that thinks they want to be a teacher, throw them into an after-school program. And if they thrive in that environment, it's like, this is a this is a clear stepping stone to what you're going to experience in a classroom. Definitely. I think that was a great experience for me. And um, I have educators in my family as well. I have three aunts who are retired teachers now, happily retired after many years of of hard work. And, um, but I think I changed my mind in college. Okay. Yeah. And you studied English in college, right? I did. I mean, I spent my freshman year was taking classes leading me towards pre-med, like I said, mm -hmm. but I pretty quickly changed my mind. It was so competitive. Um, I remember yeah. there was a, a study group for my Chem 1A class, which is this notorious weeder class for pre-med students at UC Berkeley. And it's a terrible I, name. It is. But I went to a study group and there was a student there who was, you know, helping us. And it turned out he was giving us misinformation on purpose. What? So that we would help throw the curve so that he could get a better grade. Jeez. And when I that's found insane. that out, yes, I was like, hmm, you know, both my parents are English majors. I love books. I like talking about books and literature. This just seems right. like a better fit for me. So right. I switched. Well, you know, they say that about some of those hard sciences and the math stuff at these competitive universities, how it can dissuade a lot of students from pursuing those careers because it's so cutthroat. Yeah. And it's like, I just don't understand, like, given the shortages in those areas, why we do that to kids. I mean, I guess it's maybe peer to peer inflicted, but I feel like the professors play a part too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't quite understand why it needs to be that competitive, but it certainly worked on me. I was I was weeded out freshman year. <laughs> Sheesh. So so you you graduated from Berkeley with an English degree and then you went back to San Diego after that or Yeah, I you... moved back to San Diego to get my teaching credential. So I, I earned that at San Diego State. Okay. Um, and then I earned a master's degree while I was teaching. So several okay. years after that at U University of San Diego. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So what were the first few years of teaching like for you? I was lucky in a lot of ways because I graduated from San Diego High and now I teach at San Diego High. 
Um, So when I started out there, several of my former teachers reached out to me and were very kind to me. And two of them in particular became my mentors, my first year teaching. And so they were always checking in on me and, you know, offering me advice. And I think that that is probably what got me through it. That was pretty priceless. But um, I was so young, you know, I was only maybe seven years older than the kids I was teaching. Yeah. Um, And I had a lot of angry boys in my classes. (laughs) And there were just a lot of situations I faced, especially in the first few years. I just no training had set me up for how to deal with some of those situations. So to had it, did you rely on your mentors for that or what got you through those hard times, you think? I think um, it was always good to have my mentors as sounding boards for challenges I was facing. Um, mm-hmm. Even with that support, I still spent a lot of nights kind of crying, just feeling like I wasn't doing my job well enough. And it was mostly, I would say, in the beginning, classroom management issues, probably because I felt so young and um, I was trying to um, manage my classroom the way I had seen other teachers do it or on the recommendations of what other teachers did. But what I had to figure out is I had to take a cafeteria approach that worked for me. So cafeteria, like I pick and choose the things that work for me and my personality until I had a robust enough system that allowed me to be an effective teacher. Because if you don't have classroom management, right, there's not going to be any learning. So I would say the first couple years, the the hardest part was probably just classroom management and learning how to do that. The process of getting through that was kind of you kind of learning what was your authentic way of doing it and learning that that was an okay way to do it. Is is that a fair way of saying that? I think that's, that's exactly what it was. And another thing that really helped me is I learned to celebrate little wins, not to focus mm-hmm. so much on everything that wasn't going exactly as I wanted it to. But, you know, if one student <coughs> I had had a hard time getting through to, I was finally able to have a good conversation with, Um, or a productive conversation, or a student who hadn't been turning in work started turning in work, you know, I would celebrate those things, um, praise those students, and also kind of feel happy myself for those little moments. Um, You got to value those because it can be there can you can have, you know, I mean, I think sometimes you're like, well, you have a a bad day, then a good day, then a bad, you know, but sometimes it can be a series of bad days. (laughs) You know, where you're like, you're like, where's the good day? Where's the good day? Is spring coming early? Um, So the school you teach at, it's an IB school or are you just, there's a program within it? Yeah. So um, it's kind of a strange situation. San Diego High used to be this big um, comprehensive high school. And okay. then Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation came in, I think, 16 years ago and gave us this huge grant to experiment with small schools. So oh. we split into six small schools all on the same campus. Okay. And that over the years has gradually changed to now where only three small schools left on the campus. And the school I teach at isn't really small anymore. I think okay. the first year we were a small school, we had the IB program and it was maybe a little over 400 students. And okay. now we have, I think, 1,200 students. So wow. it's it, it's really not a small school anymore. Right, right. Um, Just in theory, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, so can you explain IB for people? Because I, I know the word is used a lot 
and I know the word international is in it. So yes, it definitely. sounds fancy, but it is fancy. Can you, can you explain <laughs> it for people who might not know what it is? Sure. So um, IB stands for International Baccalaureate, and they have programs for every stage of school. So they have a primary years program for elementary and they have a middle years program for middle school. At the high school level, it's called the diploma program. So students can take IB classes and earn an international baccalaureate diploma, which is recognized internationally, um, if they have certain scores on tests and complete some community service and also write um, an extended essay, which is like a 4,000-word paper that's assessed externally. Um, But the thing I like about International Baccalaureate, it's a very rigorous curriculum that um, allows students to build their ability to think critically. I think it's a lot more robust than even some other advanced courses you can take. Compared to AP, for example? Yeah, I mean, I prefer IB a lot. So, for example, AP is usually a one-year course, um, and there's a one test at the end of it that's, what, three hours long, and it's multiple choice and writing, for English anyway. For IB, all of the courses in the diploma program are two-year courses. So you take this, this course for two years, and over the course of those two years, you are taking various assessments. So... Um, The IB English exam takes place over two years. There are two oral components. There's a written assignment that's assessed externally, and then there are two timed exams in May. So to me, it seems a much more comprehensive way to um, assess learning, I would say, or knowledge in English. So at your school, are all the kids a part of this program? Whereas like in a typical school, you have the kids that are in the AP classes and then the kids who are not. And it creates this kind of like divisive culture of, you know, the smart kids and the less smart kids. But it sounds like it's more total. Well, especially when we were a smaller school, it felt that way. We had this motto of IB for all, that all students would be taking at least one IB class. Even if they weren't going for the diploma, they could earn a certificate in a specific class. And as we've gotten bigger, we're offering more and more courses. We also offer AP classes now. So I think um, it's not necessarily a program that's there for everyone, but I I think everyone does take um, theory of knowledge, which is an IB course. It's an epistemology course, um, like philosophy. So all the students take that, but there's no exam that's associated with that course. It's just part of the program. Okay. Yeah. So so the person I had on most previously was an English teacher. And I asked her this question. I'm going to ask you, um, what do you like about being an English teacher? Isn't it just like, weekends on the couch with huge papers and, you know, trying to yes. teach kids abstruse old literature that they don't understand? I mean, what what do you, what what gets you out of bed to teach English? That's such a great question. I think English language arts inherently is really personal, um, partly because we ask students to develop, you know, their speaking voice and their writing voice. And those things can be very scary especially for kids who are used to communicating only through screens, um, which a lot of my students, when they come into class, they're kind of just used to that. Um, And not only the importance of developing voice and how personal that can be, but also the idea that literature is really art that explores 
what it means to be human, right? The best of human life and the worst of human life and how to navigate all the tricky things about life. So I feel like in a literature classroom, especially a discussion-based classroom, which is what I have, we get to talk about life. You know, we get to talk about such a wide variety of issues um, in, in really different ways. And once the students start feeling comfortable using their voices in discussion, it can be such a dynamic and exciting place. So um, that's why I love teaching English. I hate grading papers. Don't get me wrong. I that's still, the thing, right? Yes, it's the price you pay. It is. And I have one of my colleagues is a PE coach. And every ah. once in a while, he just reminds me, he's like, you know, we get paid the same amount, right? I don't have to grade papers. He likes to That's rub terrible. It it they is. should have some kind of punishment for their, <laughs> the PE fact that they just get to yep. leave and then just be done. No, it's but terrible. I mean, as much as I complain about grading papers, I do think it's a privilege that I get to read them at all. You know, I, right, I right. really appreciate that. Um, I that's have a good little reframe, like a gratitude reframe that mm -hmm. I've been using lately is I don't have to do something. I get to do something Yeah, because you know, it can be really easy to get caught up in your stuff. And mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so kind of connected to that. Uh, and this is going back to us being cranky old teachers. <laughs> have you, have you noticed, um, over your career, kind of a change in students, uh, level of writing, you know, in terms of just, uh, the proliferation of phones and how, how they communicate like on, on Snapchat or on Instagram or whatever, has that affected the writing or do you feel like kids are kind of the kids are just kids and they can be molded to be whatever kind of writers we hope they would be. Yeah. I haven't seen necessarily a difference in their ability to write. I would say the difference I've seen is in their ability to focus on the writing. I think that the, the phones in hand and sort of the instant gratification that they bring, um, whether it's through communicating with a friend or finding information seems to, distract students from really being able to dig in and get into writing in, in depth. Um, so I've seen students struggle with completing assignments a lot more, but not necessarily sure. that those assignments are of uh, lesser quality than, you know, at the beginning of my career. You know what the solution might be is we just give them more and more technology in the classroom and then they'll really learn how to focus, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the solution. Yeah. Um, reverse psychology. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> overload you. Well, yeah. so let's go back to the um, younger <laughs> teacher moments because um, I, I kind of missed something I wanted to talk about. So mm -hmm. kind of where you're at now in your career, if you could go back, you know, Doctor Who style or whatever in a time machine <laughs> and and talk to your, you know, second or third year self as a teacher, um, would you give yourself some advice then? Would you focus on something or encourage yourself in a particular direction to maybe save yourself some of the struggles early on? Mm. Yeah. Um, I have a couple things. The first is, um, even though it can seem intimidating at first, I feel like the more reflective we are about our teaching practice, the better that we can become. So sometimes at the beginning of my career, I wouldn't want to write down what went wrong. 
um, because I didn't want to focus on it. But what I was missing out and what I started doing is taking notes on what went wrong, what went right, so that I could look back on those and remind myself of how I could change to make my classroom more effective and to make it a better experience for students. So I would encourage myself to be reflective from the very beginning um, mm-hmm. and not not to fear that. And I think um, another thing I would tell myself is that every year gets better because you're going to gain confidence. You get to hone your craft. Um Right. It's like it's like a fine wine over time. You're just going to get better and better and better. Um, and the the biggest rewards of teaching also will come over time. And that's as you get to keep in touch with your students who've graduated. I'm sure you've had the same experience where you right. hear back from a former student and get to kind of live vicariously through their adventures and their careers and their triumphs. And I mean, that's really the priceless part, right? And it's all Absolutely. about the students. So speaking on that note, um, so as you've moved into your career, have your kind of, are there, are there goals that have changed for you? Are there certain kind of mentalities, the way you approach problems differently kind of in a a more mature part of your career? I think so. I think one, um, I've definitely developed much more of, uh, growth mindset for myself, like I was talking about before, just like the idea I can always improve, I can always do better. I never want to be one of those sad, stagnant teachers that, you know, everybody knows is just hanging out until they retire. I've never wanted to be that person. Um, I think one thing that has changed about me too is uh, I have had a big increase in my capacity for compassion for students. I think when I was a brand new teacher, I tended to take everything personally. What am I doing wrong that I can't reach this kid? Or what am I doing wrong that's causing these behavior problems? But I I know now a lot of it has to do with trauma that students have faced and, you know, challenges they have going on at home. So I feel like I've become a lot more understanding of the bigger picture. It's not just my itty bitty classroom. It's everything going on in that student's world. And my classroom is just a very small part of it. So if I can make it a safe um, space for that student, then we're both going to benefit um, from the experience. Absolutely. And you hear that all the time early on. They'll tell you, don't take it personally. Don't take it mm-hmm. personally. But that message is so hard to receive you it know? Is. when you're when you're a young teacher because teachers are inherently people pleasers. You know mm-hmm. that's kind of in our natures. At least most of us, the good ones, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but it, you know, when that kid says something, I mean, what do you what? Maybe talk us through your your self talk in that moment when some student you've been working with and you're just like giving your all to reach them and they're just like, screw you. I don't care what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm just done. You know, like, what do you, how, how do you get through that moment in your head without losing it? Yeah. I think now I just really slow down and take some deep breaths and I try to speak to the student calmly and just say, you might not be ready now, but I promise you I'm here for you. My job is literally to be here for you. So I'm here when you're ready. And just to keep checking in with that kid, even if it's just, you know, every class period walking by and saying hello or having some eye contact. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. I've gotten really good at understanding that it's not really directed at me. I mean, I haven't done anything to 
I haven't done anything to warrant, you know, being um, talked to poorly. So I'm sure it's got to be something going on with the kiddo. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's going back to the talking to young teachers. I feel like that's, if they can get there, I think they're good. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that, I think they'll make it if they can just learn, learn, you know, just kind of take themselves out of it and just make it about the kid in the moment. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the problems, you know, can be solved early on. Mm -hmm. Um, So speaking of new teachers, um, this is kind of a funny question. And when I asked this question before, it was, it was uh, reframed as a question about millennials, but that's not necessarily what it's about. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) um, Have have you seen, have you seen changes in kind of the newer teachers coming into the teaching force? Are there, are there things about them that are interesting or different than maybe when you came into the teaching force? Yeah. Well, I think definitely they make me feel old sometimes. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right. Just because they're so much more comfortable with the same exact technology that the students are using themselves. And for me, I feel like, um, I think this is my 17th year teaching. So I don't necessarily think of myself as old, but I definitely, like I had to have a student show me Snapchat and explain it, right? It's not something I grew up with myself. Um, Sure. So some of my um, recent student teachers have really found cool ways to incorporate technology. Um, uh, For example, one of them, she we were reading Hamlet and she asked them to translate the conversation between the guards in act one into a group chat. Um, (laughs) And she had a template for that, that they could type into and then print those out. And it was really cool. And it helped to show that they understood the language, but they also had so much fun with it. Like they were explaining why they chose which emoji to include on that line and how that helped develop characterization so I think um, definitely they're more tech savvy. They can use that to con- connect with the kids. Yeah, in connect in a with way. the kids, yeah, and they're yeah. um, they're risk takers. You know, they're willing to take some risks in the classroom and try something new. In a way, I think when I was a new teacher, I was terrified to do that. I was trying right. to figure out what is the right thing to do and how do I figure out how to do it. It was never, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't real comfortable with taking risks in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think those are so good I, things. Yeah. And I've tried, you know, I think there's this myth um, going around that, you know, millennials are lazy or whatever mm. it is. And I think, I think they just operate differently. I think, um, I think they're, they have valuable, they've got areas to grow like we all do, but they mm-hmm. also offer some things. So, um, and on that note, um, if, and this is kind of a theoretical question, yeah. so you can take a minute to think about it. Okay. Um, so a lot of the induction programs that we have, as you might know, oftentimes resemble busy work or yes. uh, things that, you know, maybe you already learned in your credential program and are kind of being revisited in a way where you're like, I'm not sure why they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's no indictment of any, you know, my, right. this is my district. This is not a, you know. <laughs> The, the county's program was great. Don't get me wrong. Um, maybe. Um, but 
what how if you were if you were put in charge of redesigning that basically you're in charge of you get to spend a year with all these new teachers and ensure Ooh. that they they get to have certain experiences or do certain projects what would you have them do like if you were designing something for these new crop of teachers coming in yeah i think you know the main things that teachers new teachers need is time and support so if i you know could wave my magic wand, all new teachers would have like an extra prep period um, that would just be focusing on experiences as new teachers where they could meet with mentors, maybe do some of the traditional induction things, but also just have that space to talk through challenges um, and also visit other teachers' classrooms. I mean, mm -hmm. I I love going to see other teachers. I always learn something by going to see other teachers teach. And yes. I think that they need the time to do that, um, you know, for their first year of teaching, for sure. I think that would be really important. And also, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen, did you see uh, Sydney Jensen's TED Talk? She's the 2019, I think, Nebraska Teacher of the Year. It's really interesting. But she's no. kind of talking about how teachers need mental health support, too, to deal with secondary trauma, right? Absolutely. If you have good relationships with your students, sometimes you're going to hear about things that are just absolutely heartbreaking, things that you have no control over um, and won't always know how to navigate. So I think new teachers should have um, some mental health training, not only uh, mental health first aid to help their students, but mm -hmm. also recognition of what secondary trauma is and ways to avoid it. Um, it would certainly help with burnout. You know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's a problem in our profession. You know, it's just, we lose teachers every year and, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they're, they're seeking a job where they have a, you know, and it's, it's, if it looks strange on the surface, cause you're like, you have all this time off, mm -hmm. you, you get, you can go home at four o'clock. Like, what are you complaining about? But it's like, but it's like from eight 30 to three 30, it's like, sometimes they're going to war, like yeah. not, not with the students, but like with the environment mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's taxing. It and is. so I agree. I, I think, you know, I think there needs to be something, some, some kind of support in a way that's not just curriculum yeah about you I think curriculum honestly the the curriculum is important I don't want to say it's not important but to me being an effective teacher curriculum is not the first thing I think that you need to have to be effective um so yeah if if we could figure out a way to make districts support that for teachers, I think it could be really powerful and and change kind of the way new teachers feel just right. thrown right. into their classroom and here's more hoops to jump through and yeah. you're and you're also coaching the time. baseball team exactly. and you're also doing this and you're all... scared to say no to anything yes because you're not tenured uh -huh. um, <laughs> so changing gears a little bit, I want to yeah. talk to you about film because i love <clears throat> I love film Yay. and um, how did you get into that? Was that kind of something that came up later or is that something you were interested in teaching from the beginning? Well, um, IB film is a relatively new IB course actually. Um, and at our school previously, it was taught by our physics teacher who had also, mm -hmm. I think, minored in film. 
And it sounded like a fascinating class. And it wasn't until he actually left to teach at a different school that I had the opportunity to jump in. Um, And that's kind of how I got involved with it. I did ask to be involved with it. Film uh, attracts me as a teacher much the same that literature does, right? There are stories about life um, and how you convey meaning with your stylistic choices about life. All that stuff is super fun to analyze and talk about. Um, So that's how I got involved with it. I Unfortunately, I no longer teach it. That's so terrible. What happened? Well, the county, I believe, changed what credential you need to teach film courses. So it used to be a little bit more open. So you have to have a fine arts credential in San Diego now to teach film. (laughs) And, you know, I did look into it briefly, um, as did one of my colleagues who was teaching Ivy Film. Uh, But it, it involves, you know, taking a lot of tests and actually creating your own portfolio of art that you have made yourself and all this stuff. And I'm like, hmm. What? I can't do that. So sadly, that's, that's I no so, longer I'm so teach sorry. It. It's okay. Because that, that was, that, I mean, that was, that was a, a big thing for you because you yeah. were working with these different groups in San Diego and your kids got to experience film festivals and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure that was tough to let go of. It has been. It has been. But, and, and also there were fewer papers to grade in film than there are in English. Now I have six English classes. Go. Now we're hearing the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. Um, but I still get to stay involved with certain things. Like this year, instead of taking film classes to the um, Human Rights Watch Film Festival at the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park, um, I took my ERWC class, which is a like a, a 12th grade rhetoric class that I'm teaching. Okay. And we launched this unit on juvenile justice. And we got to go see this film about Brian Stevenson. Um, oh, yeah. Called Just True Mercy. Justice. Yeah. yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah. Just Mercy. It was the documentary oh, okay. about him called oh, True Justice. Okay, mm-hmm. okay cool. Um, and that was a lot of fun because a lot of those kids, they don't get to go on field trips very often. Um, right. So that was great fun and just kind of eye opening for them, I think. That's awesome. All yeah. right. Well, I have, I have one more question for you. And it's always the worst, Uh-oh. Uh, especially for an English teacher. So <laughs> if you if you had to. What is your favorite book to teach? Hmm. That's so hard. I love them all. I know. Well, I'm going to have you pick. So, you know, it's it's not that one child is better than the other, but there usually is one child better than the other. I guess that's true. Well, the one that I've been teaching since the very beginning of my teaching career is Beloved by Toni Morrison. Mm, It is a gnarly uh, book. (laughs) Yes. Very emotional um, and very graphic, but also so beautiful. And a lot of the students do end up getting into it, especially because of the supernatural aspects. But Uh honestly, Right when I was thinking about moving on and teaching something else, the Black Lives Matter movement started and the book just became so painfully relevant again um, that I just felt like, nope, nope, I can't let this one go. It it sparks really deep conversations and thoughts um, for students. And I think it's such such an important book. And Toni Morrison is a master and she's wonderful to read so 
Yeah, we'll miss we'll miss her. And yes. um perfect way to end end with Tony. So, <laughs> thank you thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was fun. That was such a wonderful conversation with Jamie. I I could have just talked to her for hours about her philosophy and how she approaches the classroom. Um, I hope you got something out of this conversation. There's quite a bit there. Um, on a, just a simple re-listen, I just had a whole bunch of other insights just based on some of the things that we talked about. And that's what you get when you sit down uh, with a teacher with years of experience. You get those insights that, uh, that take a long while to gather as a young teacher. So that's why we're doing this um, podcast to support teachers in their professional development and gaining insights from veterans that they may never meet. Um, they may have work at a school where they don't have conversations like these. So um, I hope you enjoyed this and stay tuned for our next episode.